welcome to Safe Space. We have a really great, resourceful, and informative episode for you today um, on parent training. We have me, your main host, Mackenzie Welch, and your co-host, Michelle Zeman. Be sure to listen for your two code words. Uh, One will be in the middle of the episode and one will be at the end. Um, So let's get started. Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode three of the Safe Space podcast. We are very happy to have you. Um, We have a very special episode today. We are actually going to be interviewing one of my um, very, very best and oldest friends on parent training and caregiver training. So today we have uh, Miss Courtney Pollack. She is a BCBA from California and she has um, a lot of passion for parent training and is a parent herself. So we're going to get a lot of good insight from her today. Hi. Hi. How's How life over there? Life is good. I um, have my mother-in-law in town, so I get a break from my child for a little yeah. bit. Because you were on, she's on child number two or I, coming. I am. I have a number two due in a couple months. Oh my gosh, congratulations. Thank you. Yes. So ramping um, up again. Yes. Aw. Do you know if it's a boy, a girl? I got another boy coming. Okay. <laughs> we have names yet, or are we not? We're not we're not. We have well, I have my first child's name. He's four. His name's Carter. And I think we're sticking with the CJ because last name Jackson and yeah. My husband, myself, and we all have C's. So I think we're going with Cole. I think we like Cole. Oh, I love that. Cole Jackson. Love it. I have to Cole start Carter. so I get like comfortable and used to it, you know? I love it. CJ, That's CJ, awesome. CJ. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. Love it. Cool. All right. Um, so we are going to launch into parent training. So Courtney, just tell us a bit about the position you hold and just how you've kind of developed your passion for parent training. Yeah. So currently my position, my full-time nine to five, I'm associate director of our ABA services. Um, So I really think with the parent training now, I still hold a lot of parent training groups. So that's something I really enjoy doing, getting parents together and kind of having a group parent training. And then I've shifted a lot towards actually coaching and training Um, Our current BCBAs or mid-level supervisors and and some BTs as well on um, doing parent training. So that is something that I kind of shifted into now teaching others how to do it, which is great. And then um, I started like working in a private practice too, where I'm director of caregiver support. So um, that is fully on board. And um, what I really enjoy with that is not only am I providing caregiver support for um, parents of children who have neurodiverse needs, but also neurotypical children, um, because parenting's hard. And um, I think that um, everyone can use a little help and why not a behavior analyst um, supporting. Really? So I'm just all things all parenting things. in, in parent all roles. And yeah. And I'm a parent. So there we go. Great. Um, and I love that you mentioned, because I think one thing um, Michelle and I really wanted to focus on today was there are a lot of new BCBAs that come into the field that are super uncomfortable with parent training. So 
we would just love to get all your insights um, on, on that. And that's just kind of leads into our next next topic. But how do you like what's your first step in gaining comfortability with parent training? And what are just yeah. general tips, general tips to get? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think in general, A, when you first do start in caregiver training. So I've been in the field for like 12 years now, starting as a BT. Mm-hmm. And I can absolutely even remember the first time that I had to conduct like caregiver training, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and it's super intimidating. Yeah. And um, you kind of feel like a fish out of water and you don't know where to start. So I think I've found that when I'm like talking to other staff about providing caregiver support for the first time when you're first starting, I like to approach it very similar to how you would approach working with a child in the sense of you're going to be establishing rapport, right? You're going to be, you know, quote unquote pairing and all of that. Um, So you're going to take some time to establish rapport. Um, You need to know your audience. So I also like to give us a tip, like do your homework a bit, like read through the report read through the background. Um, I know that your, your two episodes before this that I listened to were, you know, trauma-informed and cultural competency. And mm-hmm. that absolutely. You like, listened. Oh, Thank I you. Listened. I listened. I have listened. Well, of course, you're my girl. I'm going to listen to you. <laughs> but I just love that it was like a segue into this because it's the foundation of all therapeutic services. But when you're working with caregivers, like you have to be informed, like who are you, you working with? Um, so I always say, do your homework. You have access to so many reports. Um, that's part of the rapport building. If you go into it, like, so you have two children, one this age, like, wow, you know, you've, you've done your homework, right? Like, so you're, you're establishing that rapport. Mm-hmm, um, definitely. So I, I say that, you know, go into it like you would with a kiddo, identify your caregivers reinforcers, right? Like yeah. we're not talking tangible reinforcers, like what their favorite food is, you know, that you're going to provide, but what are, what are they looking yeah. for from your services? And so if you don't identify their reinforcers, like you're not getting that buy-in. So yeah. I like you to, say to start with that like it's not a a race it's a marathon like the best yeah like sessions occur when you've established that rapport um it's it's um it's very vulnerable position to be a parent and have somebody else tell you yeah coming in and being like let me and it's literally called parent training right which there's a lot of like skepticism around us, you know, calling it parent training, should we call it parent support, caregiver coaching, but it's very vulnerable for someone to come in and say, Hey, let me like train you on being a parent to your your child. Right. So, um, I think if, if, if people are feeling a bit intimidated, well, it it is, you know, you should handle with care and, um, really kind of approach it the same way you'd approach working with a kiddo. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was just going to say like, you know, your approach resonates with me a lot. So, um, you know, whenever I come into a parent training, I'm not going to lie. At first when I did parent training, I thought it was the most intimidating thing in the world. It felt like, it felt like I had to sit down and teach them how to to be a parent, even Uh though I myself am not a parent, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, I'm a, you know, you guys know that I'm autistic. And so for me, like, you know, for me, it's kind of hard to navigate, you know, parent training from an autistic person's perspective. Totally. Totally. But, you know, I'm glad that you talk about pairing with the parents, too, because I think a lot of supervisors get into their head that, oh, I have to just train my families, not I need to build report the same way that I do with my client. Absolutely. Three thousand percent, because, you know, you talk a lot about we hear a lot about you need like parent buy in. Right. Well, I I like to say, like, you're essentially like identifying the reinforcements, establishing an MO because you're not, this is a cooperation, like a collaborative, collaborative approach, because this is like not something that you're teaching your BTs to implement a program. Like you're teaching this, depending on where the parents at in their journey of parenting, but about like, how are they going to like exist with their child in, in this like relationship And so you need to really identify what do they want? Like, it's not about what you want for their kid. How you want it to go or how, like what speed it needs to go at. Yeah. And you can have your own biases, right? Like, you know, Michelle, you, you being autistic, like have your own biases on how you should be raising autistic children. Right. Or, Mm -hmm. and it just is there and stuff, but you, which is important. And like the, like, I think it's like a, really big benefit also, right? Because you've been in this journey, you know, um, yeah. but you have to know your, your audience in the sense of like, what you may think is a quote unquote, good parent or not a good parent right? is not what you're working what with. It decides, not, does sure. not matter in that sense. Your job is to just help them understand their child and then, and then right. like work with yeah. their child, cohabitate with their child, you know? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that too, because one thing that I remind people is that we are a guest in a client's life. We are a guest in our caregivers' lives. And so it's really important that, you know, we get to know them and we get to like, you know, see what their MOs are. Like you were saying, you know, Um, even just the other day I was in a client's home And, you know, I opened up about being autistic myself and, you know, I got to know their family. I got to know their culture a little bit more. And this mother broke down in tears and was like, thank you so much for what you do, you know? And it's just, it's really cool to get that, you know? So, um, so kind of like going into parent training too, um, you know, some people are saying like, oh, I have to sit here and do an actual training where I actually right. have to show you and I actually have to mm-hmm. go over these definitions. But the truth of the matter is, you know, sh- how do we really structure a quote unquote caregiver training, which right. Yeah. Like, how would you, what, what advice would you have as far as structure goes? Yeah. Like, like, I think it's important to go in prepared because you will have situations also where, you're asking questions or, you know, and a parent may just not quite know, like it depends on, again, I always say like where they're at in this journey, because sometimes you have like a parent of like a newly diagnosed child, or sometimes they've, you know, coming into parent training and their child's older, you know, it really depends where they're at in their journey, but you always want to be prepared with, with something um, for sure. Like, okay, I'm going to review this topic today. Right. Yeah. Or I'm going to review like this a loose like, structure. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Very loose yeah. And, and flexible. And, um, I like to like ask a lot of open-ended questions or 
maybe, you know, re rephrase like, okay, so I'm hearing this, or it sounds like Mm -hmm. this may be a challenge for you. And sometimes they're like, oh my God, like, yeah, that's a challenge, but they're not even identifying that's a challenge. So you're also like, again, of course, since I approach everything pretty behavior analytically, because I've been in this field so long, it's like, you're (laughs) identifying those target behaviors, right? Like you're identifying what we want to target. You're identifying what's so important for this parent through open-ended questions, through listening. Oh my gosh. So often I myself am like a silent filler. So I have to like actively think of my lips closed together. So it's like, just listen. <laughs> and it's a struggle. You definitely, you definitely are. Anxiety, <laughs> you know, fill the, fill the void. But if you're actively listening and just like letting them talk, you know, um, yeah. you're going to be able to like, listen and identify, oh, this is the target behavior yeah. that like, not maybe only for your child, but like, in general, what, what you're hoping to receive out of this. Yeah. And then, but you know what, there are times, of course, once I have that, I do go in like, Hey, sometimes you also can go down a, a rabbit hole, right. That you don't want to go down yeah. when you kind of generally go into it with no structure. And then you're talking about who knows what, Yeah, and then, you know, you're turning into something completely out of your role as like a therapist or something, which You're is talking like, about food or something. Yeah. 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 Oh I, yeah. And I'm like, I'm staying in my lane. Okay. I'm fortunate to work with a lot of mental health professionals. So yeah. I'm able to really stay in my lane and I yeah. stay in it. I very much believe in my lane. But and then I find like, they have an introduction to what ABA services are what it means what's behavior science and so you have some structure to go off of um or I really you know last time you mentioned uh something that occurred in the community like I want to dive into that a little bit more and then you can kind of go into your you know your standard ABCs and really break down the behavior um but it, it it's it's kind of guided by the parent that's something I I always say you know it's guided um but yeah yeah, you know, but then also, again, you have to always veer it back to what's in line with what with what you're specifically targeting with that parent. Um, yeah, it's always so different. I will tell you know, doing it for a long time. Even when I coach other um, other BCBAs or non not even certified people, like you have to consult and collaborate a lot because you you cannot treat Not every parent in their yeah. situation yeah. the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I, I think it's, it's definitely like having some structure to your session, having a game plan, yeah. um, but being willing to veer away as, yeah. as, as we have to be flexible, always yeah. a flexible. Yeah. structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that. And I, again, I feel like BCBAs and BCABAs get into their head that it has to be like this specific structure. But the truth of the matter is, you know, you're diving into, um, you're diving into their concerns, you're diving into their priorities. You mm-hmm. know, if there's something that I ask in every single parent training, it's, okay, we've talked about this being a top priority. How are you feeling about this? And I feel like those questions are very important to ask, you know, and, you know, and they're so stuck on, I have to follow a curriculum. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that being said too, you know, 
do you uh, do you use a curriculum at yeah, all? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, tell tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I mean, again, I think especially when you're starting with a, a family who maybe again has a new diagnosis um, for their child or um, is an early an early learner, maybe like a, a baby babe. You know, um, I think it's important to have some sort of curriculum. So especially for my, the parent training groups I run, we like to like progress through certain topics, kind of like the core topics. And that would be um, maybe an introduction to autism, to neurodiversity, right? Um, And we talk a little bit about that. I think education is huge. Like education is powerful. Knowledge is powerful. So for our parents to have knowledge of this diagnosis and, and what it can and cannot mean. Um, and then also within that, the various services, the various resources that they have is huge. Um, you got to know what, what we're getting into. And then we do an introduction to ABA. Um, I always like to say ABBA, like they don't know what it is. <laughs> Who knows what ABA is, right? Until yeah. you get it. So like, what is ABA? And then this, of course, is your foundation to what ABA is and what ABA is not. Yeah. Um, right. Because, you know, of course, with, we, you know, I, th- I know all of us have on this call have been in the field a long time. So we've definitely seen this progression in ABA. We've maybe also been part of the not so great yep. ABA. And I know connotations around it. Yeah. 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 And, and I know, Michelle, I listened to you and you experienced really, you know, negative, um, impactful sides that the, in the development of the field. So it's important to really also help the family feel safe, right? Like, sure. let me tell you what ABA is, what it should be, and then what it's not, um, and what it should not be. Right. So I like to, to set that foundation, really talk about how our job is to focus on like how we can adapt the environment to, to better support your child and, and help have them live a more autonomous life. Like get the opportunity to share what you may have already learned about it or, or things like that. Oh, for and then sure. from, yeah, you know, I think that's important. Like, don't you want to know the service that you're going to be getting um, and what it, what it is, you know? Yeah. Right. It's not enough to just talk about it in the initial assessment and, you know, go over it in like your onboarding documents, you know, you got to be able to really understand what that looks right. like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's, again, it's education. So when you come down this road and you, you come across this ABA that is like not in line with what you've wanted it to be to know like, yeah, that that's probably maybe um, not a compassionate approach that like we want to see in the field now. And then, you know, you, I talk a lot about behavior management. So I think that I mean, I think everybody in life should understand the four functions of behaviors and all that, especially, especially as a parent. You're gonna be a pa- I was just going to say, I yeah. like, you know, yeah. we all yeah, have our anything, people in our life. Like, like, if you knew I just think, life would be easier. <laughs> yeah, like disseminate that information to literally everyone because it's just behavior, like it's science-based. So a lot about that. And then teaching skills is another one. How do you teach skills? Um yeah. And then, of course, everything's individualized. So I also cover a topic about IEPs and and getting into the IEP world. It's something I'm passionate about. Um, And then teenage years, um, 
self-help adaptive skills. So I definitely have my go-to like training PowerPoints, you know, and some, again, knowing your audience, like that's what some parents want. Like you will, I live in the Silicon Valley. Like some of these families want to see a PowerPoint. They want to see the data. They want to see logistics. They want to hear you use that BCBA level vernacular. Um, And so I'm going to give it to them and I'm going to present it in that manner. Some parents could care less about looking at a PowerPoint. So it it really depends um, on, on what you're, on what you're working with, but I always have that, the curriculum kind of developing um, and just, again, you know, pivoting off one another to, to kind of get those core topics. Yeah. I'm really glad that you talked about individualizing goals too, because um, almost every single treatment plan that I've seen in the last few months has been like, um, caregiver will understand what ABA is like as a goal. Another right. one is understand the four functions of behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've been trying to stray away from that as much as possible and try to make it all about like their priorities. Yes. You know, we need to have your attendance. Yes. We need to talk about the four functions, but that being said, you know, drilling it in, like doing it as specific drills to me, like, you know, if it's aversive for us and if it's aversive for our clients, then only imagine what your parents are thinking. Right. Totally. That being said, like, how do you approach parent, parent training goals? Yeah. I love that one because it's so hard. Um, you got to make these measurable, smart goals. Right. And, um, you have to come up with some mastery criteria of how you're going to like measure understanding and knowledge. Like I, you know, I'm not going to give a quiz to my, to my parents. See, like, did you get 80% and above on this quiz? Um, I mean, again, you, there's different ways to measure, but establishing goals. If you're like doing an initial assessment with a parent, um, it can be difficult. Like you said, like, I, I think you do come across more broad goals, right? So sometimes when I'm establishing a parent training goal in the beginning, I kind of will make it a little broader. Um, I think I've been diving into it a lot more in my uh, private practice um, with with caregiver goals. And I kind of listen to what they're saying and pinpoint. So pinpoint a certain behavior that that they're wanting to see a change, right? Like I, I want my child to um, you know, use, use more functional communication. So, okay, then this, this parent is going to, you know, identify and implement strategies to, to increase functional communication. Um, and then you have to come up with a mastery criteria, um, which, you know, again, could be through observation. Um, I just, I don't, I'm not really a fan of giving my parents some homework assignment to complete. Um, yeah. So sometimes, it's more of observing, but I do tend to like to pinpoint caregiver goals. So we do have some sort of permanent product we're looking at, yeah. um, or maybe my data is going to reflect what they've been doing. So if, if my data reflects an increase in this skill in functional communication, or um, maybe even a decrease in some maladaptive behavior, and then an increase, of course, in the other replacement behavior, then I'm going to put that data in and, and talk about what parents are implementing or things like that. But I think it's better to pinpoint because um, initially you're right. It's like, they're going to understand ABA, um, which is so vague, right. um, but like, right. you know, maybe they're going to um, identify 
services or resources that they can access for their child. And then you have a permanent product as well for measurement, but that's also huge. Like our job is also to help them access information that we don't have. 100%. And it's so, so so there's other people that have a lot of it as well, you know? And it's, I think, oh, I mean, something I come across too is like, especially the ones getting straight, like they're, they're just coming into services. They're like so overwhelmed and like, they have nowhere, uh, no idea where to start. And I just, yeah, it's really important that we, we guide them in that direction too, because it can be extremely overwhelming. Oh yeah, definitely. It's quite the process. That's for sure. (laughs) And it evolves. I mean, I've made some caregiver goals that are like, where did I get this one from? Because it evolved into, you know, like I I have a current one right now with a family that um, they're working on kind of identifying different services for their child. And and I really realized that this, this dad in particular is really all over with goals for his child. Um, And so literally the goal is that like, they're going to identify some short-term and long-term goals because I realized working with this dad, like he really needs to start pinpointing his, what is 12 year old, what, what he really wants from his 12 year old, because he does have several needs across all domains and he's entering school. And it's like, what kind of class do you want for him? What kind of future do you want for him? Um, And so that goal has turned into more like, I'm going to help you identify the wants and needs for your child and the services and how to access that. So it, it, they really evolve, but they are, they are difficult to make because it's difficult to measure definitely. Yeah. Right. Um, competence, right. Uh, right. Of, of a skill. It's definitely, it's definitely difficult to measure that with a parent. And that being said, how do you kind of, and you, you've, you've, I know you've talked about this a little bit, but how do you um, kind of incorporate like values and values of like a culture or values just within a family system, um, into your parent training. Yeah, I know. Like when I first started, like, um, act was just kind of like barely talked about. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like that wasn't really even taught to me, you know, 10 years ago, um, to even parent train or train your coach would support parents from that lens. Um, so it definitely evolved for me more becoming a parent myself and understanding how it's important yeah. it is to, you know, to parent from your values. But I'm constantly like thinking about that with parents in the sense of like, what's important to you, right? Because at the end of the day, me coming in and saying, well, we're going to teach your kiddo how to clean up after themselves. And that's not really something important to you in your household. Like you're you don't really mind, like, then are you going to follow through with that? Probably not. And that's not in line with what, what matters to you and your values. Right. So, um, you know, some families, again, the values, you know, if, um, compliance and in some cultures, compliance is a huge value. Um, so we, you know, as we know, as, as, as ABA's evolved in, in that sense, I, I know me personally try to steer away from this quote unquote compliance training, right? Um, I, I don't want to teach compliance. However, this about, is yeah. important. So so let's kind of hone in on what what is important about it. Is it right. for safety? Um, is it for, you know, in the community that, you, you know, you want to make sure that your kiddo 
is responsive to you. But at the end of the day, it goes back to that buy-in and that motivation and that, that rapport. And so if, if you are not parenting or you're not coaching your parent to parent from their values, there's no, there's not going to be that follow through. Right. And what's the most important follow through is from parents. Otherwise, what are we really right. doing here? Right? Well, yeah, you know, parents are there when we're not, you know, yes. parents are there 24 seven, you know, it goes like parents, they're 24 seven, um, teachers being there okay. when it's school, um, RBTs or behavior techs, um, and then BCBAs are coming in what, like 10 to 20% yeah. of their hours a week. Right, right. Like, you know, so that's where it's like, we really need to make sure that we are focusing on the family. And I'm just, I'm so glad that you mentioned this because it really resonates with me, especially like the compliance thing, you know, and within yeah. culture, yeah. you know, yeah. I've heard that before where it's like, I want my child to listen to me. I want my child to give me eye contact, which as a neurodiverse BCBA, I'm sitting here uh, and I'm like, such a balance. Yeah. Yeah, balance. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's, it's really refreshing to, to hear that. And I, I really appreciate that. So <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. It's hard. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So I'm going to give uh, the listeners their first code word, and then we will dive into ethics. So um, first code word is firework. That's F-I-R-E-W-O-R-K. Again, that's F-I-R-E-W-O-R-K. Okay. So, you know, within parent training, um, obviously the way that I look at it is I also have to look at the ethics code. And one thing that um, I've looked at was 3.12 for advocating for appropriate services, um, behavior analysts advocate for and educate clients and stakeholders about evidence-based practices, evidence-based assessment and behavior change intervention procedures. And they also advocate for the appropriate amount and level of behavioral service position and oversight required. Um, that being said, when it comes to advocacy, you mentioned earlier that you teach parents about, you know, IEPs and different types of services. So that being said, um, how do you teach and approach advocacy with your caregivers? I love yeah. that this is brain brought up because this is like your new, your new up and coming thing. Oh, sure is. <laughs> um, I think it's, it's everything. Like I, I always tell a parent, like nobody, you are your kiddos number one advocate in life. And, and you always will be um, until, you know, of course they begin to be their own advocate, of course. Um, so I think that it's, I, always talking about it advocacy because it can be really intimidating with other service providers. I find that um, where what can start happening is other providers. Um, it can happen in ABA as well, but are, are directing treatment, right. And are directing what should be done yep. for the yep. child. Um, and of course we know there's, there's certain limitations in schools and resources and things that impact that. Um, but always making sure that the parent understands their role in, in all of these services, that they are the number one stakeholder and uh, they are the ones who should be directing treatment, you know, at all times. Um, yeah. And I think that that can get lost for Absolutely. sure. You yeah. know, these, these IEP meetings um, can so be overwhelming. Yeah. It's so, and then overwhelming. so many people coming out and they're like, this is it. And then it's like, and then the parents just kind of like, 
okay. And what, and what, and what do I do? Um, so yeah, yeah it's such an important piece. Well, and they, yeah. they're sitting there thinking these are the experts in front yeah. of me telling me what my child needs. Right. Um, and not to say that the intentions are, are, are bad. Right. I think I, I like to believe that everyone's intentions and in, in these types of fields, um, are good for the child, but it's important right. for a parent to understand that they are the expert of their child. Yeah. Uh, and so I think I'm always supporting and making sure that they know their general rights, that they know yeah. what questions to ask. Um, if you are starting to receive new services, right. Because I, I think we know that also um, many, there's many other services opening up for, for all diagnoses. Right. Um, and get can, I just, can I just be in one of your parent trainings once? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I love it because I, but I've had a lot of experience. Um, and so I think I, I also should mention that my, my mother is a, a speech <laughs> pathologist and she's been working with primarily autism for my whole life. So yeah. I also have this kind of OG who kind of shows me, yeah. um, got us into it how to wear the different hats, right? When, when you're in this role of, of supporting a caregiver. Um, yeah, exactly. So it's just really important to teach them their rights and, and to teach them the resources that they have and to teach parents that they're the expert um, and then help support them with asking yeah. those right questions. Uh, a lot of times that's, that's my role in an IEP. It's not necessarily that I'm there as an advocate because I'm not an IEP advocate, but Hey, when you go into this meeting, ask these questions, right? Like, like bring these points up um, and, and don't just, you know, sit and kind of, when you feel uncomfortable, say something because yeah. it's your meeting, it's your child, it's your meeting, not theirs. Right. It is. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you mentioned too, like when it comes to advocating for services and, you know, making sure you ask that question, um, you know, it made me think about when we have to advocate for services other than ABA, have you ever had to oh, navigate yeah. that conversation before? And if so, what was that like? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, I, yeah. Oh yeah. Because it's a, it's a, such a collaborative approach when, and I like to teach this right off the bat, like, Hey, you have a child, let's say, you know, most of the time it's autism. Um, there's going to be numerous services offered, which is a great thing. Um, that the diagnosis can sometimes be intimidating for a parent. Um, but I always, always like to encourage and say that it's going to allow access for so many different services, right? For you, for your family. I mean, we're talking everything from mental health services to financial services. I mean, the regional center services, so many services and supports to help these families. Um, but a lot of times I think, um, especially when I work with families who then, you know, you start to reach pu puberty and I'm, I'm working with some teenagers and I think you start to see maybe some, some dual diagnoses coming into play sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, sure. And I, and I'm really big on saying this is not my expertise. So as much as I love being that support for, for a parent, there's certain areas that um, are not my expertise. So I always tell other BCBAs like, you have to consult at some point when you feel like you're going into a meeting that, that you're talking about things that are not within your scope, another ethical, um, an ethical yeah. point for BCPAs, right? Um, of course. You have to consult 
I'm fortunate to work for a company that has several different service providers and mental health service providers and wrap around. And I'm fortunate enough to consult out. And um, I think there's this piece of also being part of that maybe transition in services. We're also finding that ABA is not a forever service anymore. Like when I first started, it was like, we're going to see you when you graduate at 21. I'll be here, you know. Um, But now it's like my goal is to really get the parents savvy. Your child will always have autism, but my goal is to teach you all the skills as, as they grow and then we'll leave. ABA will go and you'll access other services. So it's important to be part of that transition too. Like I would never just leave a parent. Okay. Now you're going to go off to your child's going to get access to maybe some sort of counseling or, or something different and good luck. Um, I like to have meetings with all of the providers, be very collaborative. Um, Sometimes I'll do just kind of like an exit, you know, authorization where the goal in this next six months is for me to support you with that transition. Right. Yeah, Um, for sure. It's important um, because the fortunate thing as the field has grown is that there are various services um, and, and there are various programs that are other than ABA. And I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's really good that you mentioned too, like about, you know, ABA not being a forever thing. And I think there's a lot of families that, you know, stick on to ABA being like, you know, oh, I'm like, if, if we fade out services, it's like, they almost get emotional behind it. Oh, for sure. Especially then there's the first one going in there too. Exactly. And then of course there's the other side of the coin where, you know, there are families that have heard nothing but negative things about ABA mm-hmm. or they'll say, you know, I've heard a lot of autistic self-advocates um, about the negative, um, the negative reviews of ABA. So mm-hmm. that being said, um, have you ever worked with families that have had negative views um, on applied behavior analysis? Yeah, for sure. Um Definitely. I mean, I think it's obvious in the most recent, I would say in the past like five years or so, um, because like you said, a lot of uh, autistic adults are are advocating um, of the negative side. And then as like a BCBA, it stings a bit, yeah. <laughs> you know, when you first hear about it, because, oh, I, yeah. you know, I think I'm a true believer of the science. So maybe the application and how it's applied, um, can, can be negative, but being such a believer of the science behind it, um, was, was it stung a little bit, but then just like everything you learn and you grow, you take a step back and you analyze what maybe you were a part of. So I can definitely think of things I was a part of that I was taught, um, like 10 years ago when you're like, what, what, (laughs) what am I doing with a two-year-old ignoring them for two hours? Like not a thing, like not a thing to do. Um, Please somebody try to ignore my child for two hours. Not happening. But yeah, Yeah, I mean, there's so many examples, you know, the compliance or so many examples, but I think I just hit it straight on. Like I'm not in denial about it. Right. Like, Yes. What people are saying is, is absolutely true. And I think that's why it's important to be aware of those red flags because those practices are still happening. Um, So being aware of the red flags of ABA. So I have had families, especially when I'm working with like the quote unquote neurotypical families, right. They don't have a diagnosis. You're experiencing ABA. I don't want ABA. Um, So, or, or my clients as well that are just skeptic, 
you know, to the, to the service. Um, I do just approach it head on. I talk right about it. Like, let's talk about what I've seen. Um, even sharing, I worked with a two, like a, not a two-year-old, maybe he was like five. And now I'm working with them again at 15. And I have literally seen the negative effects of ABA with this 15 year old. And now we're trying to kind of undo all the negative effects. Wow. So, you know, there's no denial of it. Um, All we can do is better, be better because all therapeutic services had some wild things happening, um, some unethical, you know, implementation of various, you know, therapy methods and interventions, and you just progress when you know more, you do better. So talking about the facts of maybe the evolution of ABA, um, and where it's going. And then where my personal beliefs are of how to approach ABA and, and the company I work for. Um, and then I like to really talk about like what the science is, because that's what it all comes back to. You apply it in very various ways, but, um, it's, it's still the science. And I, I like to like explain to BCBAs that were these methods effective that we were utilizing? Yeah, they were effective, but at what cost? Trauma-informed were they? Right. 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 Like at what cost, right? Like, did it change the behavior? It did, but did it traumatize the child? Absolutely. So it's not to say that these methods weren't effective. It's just that at what cost? There's a lot of cost to the individuals, you know? So um, we're still approaching it with a very behavior, you know, lens and, and very folk approaching every intervention in that way, but with much more compassion yeah. and, and much, much more understanding of it's more of a humanistic approach. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly. exactly. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, the two-year-old seeing them again at a 15-year-old and the negative effects of ABA. How do you recover from that? You know, especially from a parental standpoint, because yeah. I can only imagine that that buy-in again, the buy-in is a lot harder to get after. So now you have to get through reverse. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Talk about like humbling, making me feel old, all the things. When I and it, it's this specific client started to do speech services with my mom at the age of like five. I left the agency that um, was working with him, and then she got me on board again <laughs> recently. And now they've just are done with ABA altogether. I find this a lot. The families are like, you know, just coming into my home five days a week, like he's in school. We kind of feel like we got it, which again, this, these parents are very accepting of their, their child. And now I think coming in and and me actually seeing and saying, whoa, like, yeah, now your child is, won't do anything without a timer, won't do anything without a token board. We don't know what's major. Because all he thinks is everything's work because we're now trying to identify what he likes. He's compliant to a T it's problematic. Yeah. So too overly compliant. No self-advocacy. Yeah. Yes. I mean, so now just coming on board and, and talking about, yeah, like let's talk about the progression and kind of these, these methods that were used previously that like, we're, we're going to try to undo that a bit and try to work on increasing a whole new skill set now. Um, but fortunately these parents again, uh, are so 
accepting and like just everything about their child that it, it wasn't necessarily that they're anti ABA at all. It was just ABA's done great work. And now we got it from here yeah. we got it. We just want some help with certain things to keep us on track on what we need to maintain with, with this client, but very eye-opening, right. Very humbling mm-hmm. um, in the sense of like seeing directly what individuals are, are speaking out about, like I'm seeing it in front of me. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you mentioned the compliance, like the over compliance. And, you know, you mentioned even earlier about how some cultures really tackle, you know, really want to have that compliance. But of course, there are times where, you know, we deserve the right to be quote unquote, non-compliant. Such as like advocating for themselves, saying, no, don't do that. Indicating dissent, indicating assent when needed. Um, Yeah. That being said, you know, um, let's say you have a family that really focuses on compliance. How do you navigate trying to explain to them that, you know, their child needs to be able to tell us no and not follow directions all the time? Oh, yeah. I, it's, I, I always like, it's, it's, it's this fine line. So what I like to say is um, basically like there's, there's a difference between compliance and, and teaching your child to maybe um, adapt, be able to adapt and, and kind of work with their environment. So again, identifying the reasons for compliance. Um, I'm, I'm not in any means going to go in there and start expressing my deep opinion on this matter. Um that is, that is another thing that I tend to always coach with my BCBAs. Like you're not there to put your opinion on a family, right? You're there to identify kind of the reasoning and the rationale behind that and then, and then shape it, shape it from there. So kind of wondering, well, is this compliance for safety? Is this compliance for when you're in the environment, like, or when you're not the environment, when you're in the community and you want your child to be respondent to you, are we talking responsiveness? Because responsiveness is different from compliance. Um, And then I, I definitely now being in the field, I've seen the negatives and I share that, right? Like I've shared um, that, that sometimes what can happen negative um, with that and this, the actual facts of the matter of that these compliant individuals who learn this, right, are more at risk for traumatic situations to come up when you cannot advocate for yourself. It's very difficult sometimes for when, especially when we're teaching children, autistic children to discriminate between who to be compliant with, right? That is so hard to teach. Um, Listen to everything mom and dad say, but don't listen to what this stranger says, right? Um, right. And then this teacher is okay, but we don't know about that teacher. Don't listen to that one. But this one, I mean, yeah. you know, so I also like to explain that there could be a lot of instances that come up. If you have a child that's too compliant, that can get themselves into negative situations with being taken advantage of completely and the oh, negative yeah. sides. Um, and so we'll talk about what, what we mean by that and kind of shape it. So I like to talk about, so you're meaning responsiveness and of course, safety, of course, um, certain scenarios. Oh yeah. You know, just last night I was actually on, um, collaboration corner and I listened on, um, on how like 
the foundations of neurodiversity, affirming early interventions. We talked a little bit about, you know, like how nine out of 10 women that are autistic are more likely to be sexually assaulted. And that being said, like, that's scary. That's a scary statistic to be looked at. Also, too, I don't know the actual statistics, and I apologize for this, but, you know, Black autistic males are more likely to deal with police brutality and gun violence. Yeah, yeah, that's the point. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's really heartbreaking to be able to hear that, you know, and to see that. And so, you know, when I, when I talk about like compliance with my families, I try to be as compassionate as possible, you know, when it comes from a place of like safety and, you know, um, I've had to give very heartbreaking scenarios and, you know, my parents will say like, okay, I, I see exactly where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. Um, that being said too, though, um, I'm curious to know, like, what do you do if a parent doesn't necessarily like understand that and also make it a little bit disgruntled because, you know, you're not necessarily saying, well, they have to be compliant with everything that I say and everything that everyone else says. Right. What are your, what's your advice on that? Yeah. Like, um, and so that again, it's, it's something that I I hold in the back of my head. I I tend to not want to go in and say, okay, well then I'm not going to work with this family. It's, it's completely not in line with, with my, you know, beliefs in this area. But I also discuss the facts of it all comes back to the behavior where kind of like, well, good luck, because then you're going to get a whole manifestation of a lot of mm-hmm. <laughs> really problematic behavior. So it's also talking about like that communication piece and functional communication. So when you're talking like, OK, you, you want compliance in, in all areas, um, you might start to see some behaviors developed that you're not going to be wanting to see. Right. And, and most of the times that starts to happen. Right. Um, yeah. so I, I always like to talk up the skill of communication too, because when we are talking compliance as well, we're, we're start to dive into like antecedent strategies that, that you're going to be implementing then. Right. So you can still gain compliance in a, in a functional manner. One of my current clients right now talking a lot about compliance, um, so we're, we're talking a lot about those strategies to gain that in the sense of, okay, you're all done with this offer language at that moment saying, Hey, you're going to be done with this and you want them to comply right away. I get it. I'm a parent. Like I wish that when I'm like, we're done, go take your bath, stop doing this, that it just happens right away. <laughs> like, right. Um, but I give my son those tools to say, Hey, we're, we're going to go take a bath give choices. Do you want to yeah. take your red, you know, I your red just with my niece the other day? Where it's yeah. Just, so you know. I'm still working on compliance, but we also have this cooperation. So that yeah. also dives into this, this kind of act. And what I like to call is like my intentional parenting journey I'm on in the mm-hmm. sense of, you know, like I, I do want compliance with, with my child. Right. Of course. But also I want cooperation and collaboration yeah. and right. I, I co-create like now that. you're co-creating the environment. With yeah. The- and you're highlight that with a parent, like, wouldn't it be great if you have this cooperative child where we're not talking compliance, we're talking cooperation. Um, so this mom's like on board, like give your child that language to, to be able to, request additional time, right? The, the go-tos or, um, you know, be able to say, not right now, can I do it later? Like, I still believe in, you know, you got to get things done as a parent. So again, if I need my kid to 
do his night routine. We're not, this is not a negotiation. We got to get these things done, but he has somewhat like shared control in this. So it's like, are we talking compliance or are we talking cooperation? Right. Like, so I think the intentions, you always have to think that like the intentions are, are good, right? Like from a parent, that's what I like to believe at least. Um, So shaping, shaping the language, I I guess, and and thinking about where would you like to see this? Um, Because that is in some cultures, that's very important. Um, And specifically that word's very important. Um, But we know the negative effects that can come of that for sure. Absolutely. And again, like, I'm just really thankful that you talked about this because, you know, for me personally, like I am very much like with all my clients, I teach them the difference between ascent and descent. And I talk a lot about that during parent training and they, their eyes are opened as a result. And so, you know, within the flow of that parent training, like I give them situations where like, there might be times where they need to descent, you know? Yeah. And so, or, you know, you come up with a plan to sort of like collaborate on, yeah. okay, yes, we need you to do this, but you make that choice, kind of like what you were saying. It's, you know, it's cooperation, but it's also collaboration. Totally. Yeah. It's really, it's really cool to be able to, um, to sort of approach it that way. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. It's a relationship at the end of the day, a parent and a child's a relationship in the same way you have relationships with other people in your life. So yeah. with the relationship comes co- collaboration, cooperation, connection, like it all, you know, these are, these are these words that we don't use right in our, in our practice, but um, I'm glad that they're becoming more fluid because these are also relatable terms for parents, right? It's also important to be like relatable for a parent. So completely, completely. It's so important. And I've learned it so much being a mom. That's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Give, give one us of the, a nice unique lens on that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And one of, one of the things that I want to ask um, personally is, um, you know, for that BCBA who doesn't feel comfortable coming into parent training because they feel like it's intimidating or they feel like they just don't know how to navigate, especially, you know, as if they're not a parent or as if they don't have an autistic child in their lives, um, what type of advice would you give a BCBA who's just not comfortable or who's newly minted as well? Yeah, I mean, I think when when you're approaching those situations um, to a, to a new BCBA, again, it, it's a lot of like listening. It's it's a lot of hearing. Um, it's a lot of listening to their needs and and trying to put your own biases behind. Um, it's a lot of thinking about just kind of focusing in on on that parent and and maybe not necessarily only thinking about the child in that situation. But, um, I, I truly believe in those situations also, like just thinking about afterwards, like consult and reach out and ask for help, um, and and consult with your supervisor or a a fellow colleague and about certain situations that you weren't feeling comfortable with. Um, but have kind of like a go-to plan to kind of like thinking about, okay, these are the things I want to talk about. Um, but asking those open-ended questions, I think are, are so important. I have only been a parent for four years. I've been a parent trainer for 
it's like what, eight years, seven years or something. So, and I think I was pretty good before I was a parent also. Um, so it's not necessary, but you also need to understand it's important to realize that you are not a parent to, um, you're especially, you're not a parent to a child with neurodiverse needs. Um, and it's okay to be comfortable with that. And so I think that that is also something to not try to, to yeah. have, you know, to go into it thinking like, well, I still know everything, right. right. Because remembering that you may be the expert in this area, but they're the expert on their child and that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. That's, that's fine to start with on that, you know? Yeah. And I like that you just brought, I mean, like with both of those, it's like, they both have something to offer. Right. So like the newly minted BCBA might have, you have the science, but the parent has the child and they know they're the expert on the child. So then it's like, again, it's that co-collaboration you're co-creating together. Nobody's above or below anybody. It's oh, just, completely. We're coming, we're coming in as a team and like really looking at, at it from a team approach. So yeah, exactly. exactly. Sometimes it can be almost, you can have like a, almost being a parent sometimes can be hindering a little bit, um, as well, because you, again, you have like, you want to relate because you're a parent also. So there, there are sometimes I'm like, okay, get out of your parenting mode. Like, you know, get, get into like, you're just kind of this, um, you know, completely unbiased third, third party coming in and analyzing the situation. So again, like, going in as a behavior analyst, what are our roles is to analyze the environment, analyze the situation, focus on the behaviors. And I mean, I'm always, I live in antecedent world. So if all else fails, I'm telling my BCBAs, like focus on how they can be in antecedent world and and be preventative and teaching as possible. Because I'll tell you, reactive world as a parent is a whole nother game. Like you're, yeah, you, you, you really can't, the reactive part is so hard to teach. Um, but being as proactive and preventative as possible and teaching those skills is, is going to be the best bet, um, when you're working with parents. Absolutely. I appreciate that so very much. Yeah, it's hard. Well, thank you so, so much, Courtney. You have been such a valuable resource. We are very lucky to have you on. I'm going to give our listeners the last code word. I'm going to keep it nice and simple. It's barbecue, but it's just B B Q. BBQ for you. Um, and Courtney, if listeners want to reach out or get a hold of you, where can they find you? Yeah. Um, let me check out what this is. She's I'm getting on. Get her Instagram, I bet. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not very, you know, savvy on that. Well, my email, I know that one. Um, so my email is j.courtney at beauty in behavior dot com and on Instagram I think I'm bib dot caregiver support awesome and I love it all things parenting it is it's a it's a rough it's a rough world being a parent it is the most vulnerable position you can be in and um so I am always here to to support parents because it's it's hard awesome Awesome, awesome. I love it. And thanks so much. Love talking about this topic. And thanks so much for letting me come on. Yes. Thank you for your perspective. I mean, again, you know, from a neurodiverse BCBA, I just, I really appreciate your passion behind parent training and then also to um, educate, educating them on the importance of 
you know, things like advocacy and, you know, understanding other services. So again, I, I'm really, I really appreciate your perspective. Yeah, nice. All right. That was Courtney Jackson for you. So thank you guys so much. And we will see you on our next episode. Thank you.